Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our scripture this morning is from Matthew 5. I'll be reading verses 2 through 4. Uh, as we come to this passage, let us first join together in prayer. Gracious God, because you are God, it is your word and your word alone that is life for us because you are gracious. We trust, O oh God, that you will speak to us. We are here. We are listening. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us listen for God's word for us. Then Jesus began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Blessed are those who mourn. There's so much that is odd about this second beatitude. Jesus says comfort is coming someday, not today, someday, maybe some distant day. Those whose hearts are broken, they will know comfort. Is that really a blessed state, a blessed life? Does it make sense to you? To his followers, this beatitude had to fall on their ears like notes played in the wrong key. Grieving is a good thing? This was certainly not the view held in contemporary philosophy in Jesus' day. Cynics, Stoics, Epicureans even, they all for various reasons viewed grieving as a weakness or as unnecessary or inappropriate, certainly not good. And when you're grieving, it doesn't feel blessed, does it? America has done her share of grieving this year. About as many Americans have died in one year of COVID as died in four years of the Civil War. The grieving seems to be unending. And even now, after what, 11 months of preaching to you through your screen, when I come into this sanctuary to record this time, I can see you here. I, I see those of you who sit here in the first couple of pews. I, I, I see you, and, and I see those of you who have never been down on the main floor. You're just up in the balcony up there. And those of you who just barely make it in the room and find your place on the back pew, in a different way, I imagine those of you who fill the pews at Antioch or who fill Friendship Hall at 5 o'clock in the afternoon to be part of the gathering. It helps that 
you sit in the same place every week. It helps me to see you that way. Of course, I sit in the same place every week as well. But the point is, as I see you, I can remember how many of you have carried grief to the church because there was a time when there was someone who came with you who is no longer here. Or there was someone you met here who is no longer here and it breaks your heart. And I know the courage it takes to walk through the day with a broken heart. I know how tender it is to walk through the day with a broken heart. And I also know from some of you that in time, sometimes after a long time, while that grief may not go away, it, it becomes sweeter and gentler there's a, there's a goodness to it. And if Jesus had said, blessing is coming, because as impossible as it may seem to imagine now in the midst of your grief, you will know comfort. Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You will know comfort. So blessing is coming. If he had said that, I could understand that. But it's the verb tenses that, that make this beatitude so challenging. He doesn't say, hang in there, for blessing is on its way. He says the comfort is future tense, but the blessing is now. In the midst of grieving, the blessing is present tense. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's here that he turns the world upside down. Do, do you think he's right? Is it your experience that grief is a holy thing? That grief is a blessed thing? I have I've done a little more than 450 memorial services here at Village. And at almost every one, I have said this. Maybe not everyone, but at almost every one, I have said this. So you, you may have heard this already. But I say when, when we come to a service to bear witness to the resurrection, it seems that the reason we have gathered in worship to bear witness to the resurrection, it seems the reason we've gathered there is because death has come and has touched one that we know and love. But it's more complicated than that. We don't come to a memorial service because of death. We come because of love. If love were not at stake, death would have no impact on us. If love were not involved, death would have no effect on us. It is not death that draws us to the sanctuary. No, it's love. Grief is the last act of love. And if I understand the text, this is the wisdom of Jesus's beatitude. The state of blessing is, is because we've loved. That, that grief, the intensity of grief, bears witness 
to the intensity of love. And the only way to avoid grieving is to avoid loving. But there's nothing blessed about not loving in this world. Now, if you, if you love, you'll be vulnerable because this world treats love harshly. But it is far better to love and to leave your heart vulnerable for breaking than to protect and separate yourself from the generosity of love. I, I think that's part of the wisdom that Jesus lifts up for us. Is it blessed to have a broken heart? No. But you have a broken heart because you love, and that's blessed. But I think that's only part of what he's getting at. Because I think, as in almost all of Jesus' teaching, he's, he talks about you and me, but he also talks about us. And I think part of this beatitude names the reality of how we grieve as people of faith for the world as it is, for the communities that we know and the ways that they are. It's not just an individualistic grief, your broken heart, but it is the lament for the way of the world. Because this is the truth. Our faith teaches us how God wants us to be with one another. It, you, you know, you know how God wants us to live with one another. Our faith teaches us that. But we don't live that way. And the world is not the way God intends it to be. And when we see the difference between what God wants and the way things are, it breaks your heart. And we know we're not there. So, when we lived in Florida, our kids were young, and every summer, Carol and I, we would pack the kids in the car, and we would drive from Jacksonville, Florida, to Montreat, North Carolina, where we would vacation as a family. It's about an eight-hour drive, and when you've got preschoolers or, or early elementary kids, an eight-hour drive is something you have to plan. This is not something you can take casually. You have to plan this because their patience is, is not unending. And if, if you've ever been to Jacksonville and driven north, you know it takes about 30 minutes to get to Georgia. Well, we would not get to Georgia before one of our children would say, are we there yet? Are we there yet? No, just seven hours and 45 more minutes to go. But we've got 15 minutes down. So we'd keep going and just repeatedly the question from the back seat, are we there yet? Are we there yet? So finally, like two-thirds of the way through, we're in the middle of nowhere, South Carolina. One of them says, are we there yet? And I just responded, yep, here we are. This is it. And they looked at the window and they said, this is it? That's this beatitude. Are we there yet? No. We're not there as a people. We're not there as a nation. We're not there as a church. We're not there as individuals. We are, we are not there yet. One thing we know as people of faith is that all of us fall short. It's the way the Apostle Paul said it. We all fall short of the glory of God. This past summer we saw it. This past summer when Folks from all communities poured into the streets and enchanted Black Lives Matter. It's a picture of what this beatitude looks like. 
I know that. That was hard for some of us. It's hard for all of us for different reasons. But some, we, we wanted to pick it apart. It was easy to do. Were, there leaders, were all the leaders pure? No, of course not. Was every instance of, that was deemed racist, was it obvious? Probably not. But at least to me, and you may see this differently, but at least to me, the most modest response should be to acknowledge that after generation upon generation upon generation of communities of color being pushed down and lagging behind on any metric you want to point to, we should agree that we're not home yet, that God wants things to be different. And when they're not, it should break our hearts. But as knowing these things are not, knowing that things are not as God intends them to be, is that alone blessed? Not quite. There's one more step. My, my friend Alan Cole helped me with this. Alan, I met Alan when I was on the board at Austin Seminary. He was at the time the dean of the seminary and, and the professor of pastoral care there. He now teaches in the Department of Social Work at the University of Texas. And Alan Alan taught me, he said, there's a difference between grief and mourning. And he said, grief is what happens to you. Grief is that tightness in the throat or of the heart that catches you by surprise because a song came on or because you see something in the grocery store because you're just sitting there with the morning coffee and the emptiness of it is unbearable and it's inescapable. Grief happens to you, Alan says. But mourning, he said, mourning is the intentional work we do to address our grief. It is telling the story. It is saying the prayers. It is talking to a Stephen minister or to a counselor or a pastor. It is the intentional work that we do because we know things are not right and we want comfort. That's mourning, he says. And in that sense, I think what Jesus is saying is that when we know what God wants for all of us and we know how things are, it should not only break our hearts, that grief should launch us into mourning, into doing the good work that is ours to do to try to make a little more right the things that can be made right. And you do this all the time. Now we're in an odd time and we can't do everything that we normally do, but remember what you've done and what we've done as a community together and know what we're going to do in the not too distant future, I pray. You've been there to tutor children who, yeah, they need to get better at their reading, but more than that, they just need you to love them. You've been there to feed hungry folk. Yes, they need food, but they also need dignity because to have to have food handed out is an indignity. You, you have partnered with people of color to lift up those who for so long have been pushed down, 
done that before, will continue to do that because that is what mourning looks like. It is looking at what has gone wrong, and it breaks our heart. But that heartbreak launches us to do what is ours to do, to make a little more right that which can be made right. And that is blessed. That is holy. Are we there yet? No, not by a long shot, but we are on the way. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.